You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. A watering hole campaign compromised several Ukrainian sites and one Canadian one. File transfer blues. A couple of looks into the criminal-to-criminal marketplace. Ben Yellen has details on a privacy suit against Intel. Our guest is Steve Ginty from Risk IQ on the threat actors behind LogoKit. And notes on the big and apparently old Facebook breach, including why people care about it. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, April 6th, 2021. Lumen Technologies Black Lotus Labs this morning announced their discovery of a watering hole campaign that compromised a number of Ukrainian websites and at least one Canadian site. The campaign affected a range of sectors, including manufacturing, oil, media, sport, and investment banking. The unidentified attackers used malicious JavaScript on the sites to induce victims to send their NTLM hashes to an attacker-controlled server via server message block protocol, that's SMB. The technique is similar, Black Lotus Labs noted, to one used in the compromise of the San Francisco International Airport's website in 2020. Manage Engine described the SFO incident last April. The Excelion FTA compromise continues to claim victims, many of them universities, and MSSP Alert has a rundown of the current state of that incident. FTA, however, isn't the only file transfer application to undergo exploitation. Avanon reports that a phishing campaign has been active, in some cases successfully, against users of WeTransfer, another popular file transfer app. The attackers are phishing, as one might expect, for user credentials, and their fish bait is a bogus message telling recipients, you have received some files. Sophos researchers have discerned a connection between the Mount Locker ransomware group and a new gang, the Astro Locker team, the latter a relative newbie in the criminal space, the precise nature of the connection remains to be determined, but it may be an underworld branding exercise, with Mount Locker using the new group to give it the requisite cachet to become a player in the ransomware-as-a-service sector. Having a big affiliate or apparent affiliate can do that for a gang. If Mount Locker can claim a biggish-appearing gang as a customer, so much the better for its street cred, and presumably for its sales. Elsewhere in the underworld's criminal-to-criminal markets, Intel 471 is observing Etter Silent, a tool for building malicious documents that's achieving significant market share. 
Edder Silent, first available on Rusophone hacking forums, typically creates a bogus DocuSign template. It's been used to spread TrickBot, the Bazaar Loader, and three banking Trojans, BokBot, Gozi ISFB, and QBot. Those last three also use bulletproof hosting services from Yalishanda, one of the world's most notorious BPH providers, Intel 471 writes. As is often the case with Fishbait, this one is more visually convincing than it is linguistically credible. While not the laugh-a-minute low-level we used to see from the shadow brokers, it's still got a whiff of Hollywood heckoey idiom. Why can I not open this document, it asks, for example, then offers two suggested answers. You are using iOS or Android. Please use desktop PC. Or, you are trying to view this document using online viewer. Well, what's a viewer for? In any case, the goal is to get the hasty, the curious, and the unwary to click. That big and old Facebook breach remains in the news. Business News points out that Mr. Zuckerberg himself was among the 533 million users affected. Among the Facebook founder's compromised data were his name, birth date, location, marriage details, Facebook user ID, and the fact that he was a signal user. Ireland's Data Protection Commission, whom the EU has stuck with the thankless task of supervising whatever it is that the Americans are up to, has, according to the BBC, opened an investigation into the incident. The commission is looking into whether the data recently made freely available on a site catering to low-end skids are in fact identical to those compromised in 2019. The timing is important for GDPR enforcement. An early leak would have occurred before the EU's privacy regime was fully in effect. So far, the Commission says it seems as if indeed the data are from the older leak, as Facebook has said, but the investigation is still young. Observers find the leak, old as it may be, troubling for several reasons. First, much of the data is of the sort that's unlikely to change. Second, as Vice sourly observes, Facebook doesn't appear to have been particularly diligent about notifying its affected users back in 2019 when the company detected and fixed the breach. That also shows, the Washington Post's Cyber 202 thinks, the limitations of current data breach disclosure rules. Third, SC Magazine sees the incident as illustrating the problems that any business model dependent on collecting and selling user data will present. And finally, the data is now readily available to be used by a range of operators one might not particularly wish to meet online or in real life, whom Whitfoo's Charles Herring characterizes for SC as telemarketers, sales personnel, debt collectors, stalkers, conmen, and the rest of the world. Some of our best friends are sales personnel, but our editorial desk doesn't like the sound of that rest of the world. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management 
and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Researchers and security firm RiskIQ recently published results from their investigation into a phishing toolkit called LogoKit, popular for its ease of use and success rate. Steve Ginty is Director of Threat Intelligence at RiskIQ. LogoKit is a, is a phish kit. Uh, it's basically a, a tool that allows people to uh, programmatically generate phishing websites and phishing emails uh, to enable them to do credential harvesting uh, at, a, at a large scale. Uh, so it, uh, it's very flexible uh, and easy to use, uh, and therefore it's approachable to you know, any level of, uh, of malicious actor uh, to spin up a site that looks like maybe uh, your Gmail account or a bank account uh, login page or what have you uh, to, to very quickly harvest your credentials uh, and then go use that for nefarious purposes. Now, one of the things you, you dig into here is, is the business side of this operation. Can you share some of those details with us? Uh, yeah, so as we you know as we were investigating the, the kit itself, uh, you know kits are used by a broad swath of actors, uh, and therefore you know you can't kind of lump them all together. But what we found was uh, some information that led us to uh, the people who who developed and were selling the kit itself. And so uh, as the team was uh, was doing their investigation, they found some unique strings uh, inside of the URLs that were being sent to uh, to fish individuals, uh, and that string led us to an open directory that allowed us to actually uh, get a version of the, the kit, uh, download it, and analyze it. And inside of, of that, uh, that code, uh, there was an email address uh, that uh, started this journey for us uh, into the, the actors behind LogoKit. Uh, and it was specifically, uh, they, they were using uh, this FUD term uh, consistently, uh, which stands for fully undetected. And as you start to pull that string, uh, and you'll, you see in the report, uh, they have a lot of presence on uh, on social media. They were actively kind of uh, pushing their their wares. Uh, they had a bunch of websites that followed that same FUD kind of uh, string. Uh, and so we were very quickly able to kind of 
find this uh, this very large ecosystem uh, of actors or of a, of a group selling uh, this tool and other services. And so, you know, Logo Kit, the tool itself, is is one piece. Uh, but the the group that is selling Logo Kit sells uh, kind of uh, services to individuals that may leverage the kit, uh, such as hosting, bulletproof hosting, uh, so that they can uh, they can conduct their campaign uh, and other tools uh, and uh, and services. Do you have any sense for the the scale of the operation itself, or how uh, how successful these folks are? Um, you know, from a monetary standpoint, uh, we we haven't gone down that uh, the the road of investigating. You know, kind of how successful they are uh, from uh, from monetizing directly. But if we look at kind of the the timeline that we've been able to put together, the individuals behind LogoKit have been uh, you know active since 2015. So there has to be some level of success. Uh, and they've, you know, they've been moving, moving infrastructure every every year or so. Uh, we're still able to track them. Uh, they focus in on kind of tax schemes and uh, SMS phishing and all sorts of, of different kind of operations. Uh, and so it, it appears that the the actor group has been successful based on the fact that they've been operating for you know for six years. That's Steve Ginty from Risk IQ. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, interesting story about a lawsuit against Intel. Uh, and this is a lawsuit that was uh, filed in February and uh, made its way from a Florida state court and is shifted to a federal district court. And uh, evidently, a plaintiff, one Holly Launders, uh, has claimed that she visited Intel's website in the year prior to January of 2021. And during those visits on the website, Intel had tracking, recording, and other session replay software to intercept her use and interaction with the website, including mouse clicks and movements. And this lawsuit is being brought saying that this violates wiretapping statutes. What's going on here, Ben? Sure. So we've seen a number of these cases pop up in both state courts and federal courts across the country. We've seen cases based in California, New York, and now Florida. Uh, What's interesting about these cases is they are all causes of action brought under different state laws related to uh, secure communications or the privacy uh, of one's own uh, software or devices. Hmm. So it's not technically illegal in any of these states to do what Intel is doing here, which is temporarily intercepting some information, mouse clicks, movements, etc. Session replay software per se uh, is not prohibited. It often comes down to this question of consent. The Florida law, which is the 2020 Florida Security of Communications Act, makes it a crime to intentionally intercept another person's electronic communications without prior consent. So, so much of the outcome of this case is going to uh, hinge on whether this plaintiff had informed consent. Informed consent in these types of cases is very difficult to adjudicate. You know, if you put something at, in, in tiny typing at the bottom of the screen that nobody would ever see, are you actually, you know, is that actually enforceable consent? Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time it is. Um, 
But if lawyers are able to uh, properly allege that there wasn't an opportunity for uh, this plaintiff, Ms. Landers, to understand how, you know, the session replay software was working, how frequently it was deployed, and the risks of the use of the software on the privacy of her information, then that would seem to be a violation of this Florida Security of Communications Act statute. Hmm. And that's why at least the analysts cited in this article think that this Florida case has a better chance of proceeding than some of the other cases we've seen uh, on this topic across the country. Because the law in question, um, the law under which this cause of action has been brought, is more robust than other laws we've seen across the country. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I have to admit that my... uh I tend to raise my eyebrows whenever I see someone uh, calling on a wiretapping law because my sense certainly from things I've seen here in my home state of Maryland is that wiretapping laws are often, you know, sort of brought in um, to come at people for things that perhaps the wiretapping laws were never intended for. You know, whereas the wiretapping laws, in my mind, tend to be a relic of an earlier time when we were all communicating on landlines. Right. Uh, we are and, literally tapping the wires. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not that anymore. So, you know, for example, you and I both live in Maryland, which is a two party consent state, which means if you record something, you have to have permission from all parties involved. And I, I suspect that's what they're getting at here in Florida. Um, but, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess, you know, if, <laughs> Wasn't she a guest on Intel's site? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she was. Uh, But that doesn't defray the importance of informed consent. Now, there's no guarantee that, you know, in court or in a motion to dismiss, Intel and and their army of probably extremely accomplished lawyers can argue that there actually was informed consent. I mean, they did Mm -hmm. have a kind of standard warning um, that comes with this script that says, you know, we're using a session recorder, it tracks user mouse movement, clicks, taps, scrolls, or even network activity. So, you know, there's something there. Uh, But, you know, whether that satisfies the requirements of the statute, I think, is, is in question. Right, right. So it could it could be I mean for example if Intel had had the first thing that you saw when you went to this website was an opt in yes said, click, you click, have to click agree yep yeah yeah then they they'd probably be off the hook and that might be the end result of this case I mean I think first Intel will try and succeed on a motion to dismiss if they mm-hmm. do not they might be interested in settling saying all right if we're going to use the script we we will agree to have some sort of opt in parameter. Um, So it's not something being sprung onto the consumer without their consent. Right, which I suspect in that case they would probably just do away with it because how many people are... Just the friction that that opt-in would create. uh, Right, I mean, certainly they're they're trying to avoid that outcome. Yeah, 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 interesting. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on this one, see how it plays out. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. We give you lots of reasons to love us. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. 
The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.